What's up, Internet? Welcome to Pop Cultural Studies, the show where we take a deep dive into pop culture history. I am your host, Jose Ruckus, quite possibly the world's biggest nerd. You see, while you were all learning to feel comfortable in social settings, I spent my formidable years binge-reading Wikipedia articles, and now I'm here to share with you what I've learned. Joining me on this episode, one of my guys, one of the, the, the absolute dudes Grapoids. that i've worked with mario rivero what's up what is up i i miss you i love you i miss you so much that i need to keep podcasting with you so we do we, whenever we need to do podcasts together man like uh, whew, just all the time just no, constantly yeah i'm just seeing you busy now hanging out with the the big leagues you know showing up on televisions like what's going on with that What's going on with that? Yeah, Matt Batson. Luckily, I've got a friend who's a producer on an NBC show, so I'll just I get to be on TV occasionally. Now that's yes, pretty yes, sweet. yeah. I love it when he wears my face on his on his shirt. It yeah. doesn't stand up for a second. Doesn't stand up at all. You know, that was great. Mario, what do you what do you think about James Cameron? <sighs> oh, I love me some James Cameron. I'm not gonna lie. I me do love too. Me. Yeah, yeah. James yeah, yeah. Cameron's amazing, right? You got Terminator yes. Two. True Lies, True lies obviously. Yes. Uh, Titanic. Aliens. Just so many bangers. Yeah. Yes. Piranha. What if, I, what if I told you James Cameron almost made a Spider-Man movie? I tell you, I believe it. And if I'm not mistaken, I almost read the script, but I couldn't find the file. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to be talking about today, is the time James Cameron almost made a Spider-Man movie. What that movie would have looked like. But also, I just kind of want to like talk about James Cameron in general because mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's an interesting dude, and then uh, just sort of how he got involved with making the Spider-Man movie. So let's uh, let's get into it here. Yeah, James Francis Cameron was born in Ontario, Canada, on August sixteenth, nineteen fifty-four. You just blew my mind. I first of all did not know his middle name was Francis. <laughs> Secondly, did not know he was Canadian. Did not know. Yeah, that. was he, he? He was he was born in Canada. Uh, eldest of five children, born to Philip and Shirley Cameron. His father's an electrical engineer. His mother was a nurse and an artist. Um, seems to have just lived a pretty normal childhood in Canada. Couldn't find any really interesting, tragic backstory for him. Sure, but at, uh, sure. at the age of 17, his family moves to California. Um, okay. And so he finishes high school in California. Um, after high school, he attends Fullerton College for about a year. Initially, he enrolls in uh, physics, switches over to literature, but drops out after a year. Starts working around odd jobs, most notably as a truck driver. Um, and he also spends like all of his free time in this time, like writing stuff, um, and just weirdly as a hobby, studying special effects and other kinds of filmmaking tech. Hmm. Um, almost entirely by like going to the the library at Fullerton College and reading like papers other kids are writing. At the college, yeah. Just for some reason, he just sort of gets inter- uh, like really interested in doing special effects and stuff. <laughs> and um, all these creative ever- endeavors come to a head in 1977 when James goes to see a brand new movie that he's really excited for: Star Wars. <laughs> um, almost immediately after seeing Star Wars, James Cameron quits his job as a truck driver and decides he's going to be a filmmaker. Um, I guess that sort of makes sense, right? I feel like that's always like the pivoting point of a certain generation of a certain age is like Star Wars happens and it just unlocks the certain brain in people. It's sort of like, um, 
the X gene just starts getting unlocked, <laughs> and then all it's of a like sudden, the Terrigen like, mists coming out. Star Wars, mist. yeah. It's just like and it's like everyone's like, oh, filmmaking. What is that? Let me actually do it. And well, you know, we got good results, and then we have Eli Roth, right? Because he's like yeah. studying like special effects and stuff. He's mm-hmm. interested in those sorts of things. And then Star Wars comes out, completely changes the special effects game. Yes. So he's like, oh my god, so many new possibilities are out there. Um. So yeah, he decides he's going to be a filmmaker, and uh, him and his friend scrounge together about um, $20,000 to make their first film. Basically, the way that they raise money is they're just cold-calling dentists. Really? Yeah, just calling people around. Because, like, I mean, I guess it's... So- I've heard it's sort of like a practice back in the day people would do. Like, you call doctors, you call dentists, because they're in... He's in Fullerton, so it's around, like, the L.A. area, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you're just like, hey, you want to get into the filmmaking? You want to invest in a film? And Oh, yes. Like, yes, 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 yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and so they get together, like, $20,000, and they shoot a short film called Xenogenesis. Um, it's a 12-minute proof of concept. Uh, I think you can find it on YouTube still today and watch That's it. That's awesome. Um, it's shot almost entirely in Jim Cameron's basement. Um, it's actually pretty interesting, like... Um, it involves like an exoskeleton suit, kind of similar to the one from Aliens. Uh-huh. Like you can, and I mean, like you can tell that there is. Um, I believe like Xenomorph is first used in Aliens. I'm pretty really? sure. Really, kind of got the idea from Xenogenesis. God, Xenomorph. you're blowing my mind on multiple things. I had no. I thought it was from the original. So now you're saying it comes from that. I don't believe. I don't believe the word Xenomorph is used in the first movie. I might be wrong about that. He's I obsessed with the word Xeno. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like you can definitely look at the movie. And like, yeah. well, I mean, it's 12 minutes. It's not a movie. But you yeah. can see like the roots of James Cameron in there. Um, the dentists are not very fil- uh, thrilled with the results of the movie and decide they're going to pull the investment. He's not going to be able to make a, f- a full movie of Xenogenesis. But uh, there is one person who sees some potential in Xenogenesis, and it's a guy named Roger Corman. Mario, are you familiar with Roger Corman? Big, yeah, yeah, big, big familiar with Roger Corman. This man is responsible for a, a quite a few uh, wonderful talents, a lot of movies, real bad ones, but a lot of movies, a lot yeah. of movies for sure. Yeah, uh, so yeah, Roger Corman's a pretty interesting dude. Uh, he and his studio, uh, New World Pictures, are famous for cranking out super low budget exploitation movies, some which are actually pretty good, most which suck. Um, yeah. In part, it's because um, he uses like a really low budget scheme where he's finding young, unproven talent that he thinks has potential and he gives them a shot to make movies. Um, he helped launch the careers of directors like Francis Ford Coppola, Joe yes. Dante, Martin Scorsese, actors like Peter Fonda, Sylvester Stallone, and Jack Nicholson. Here's where I remember recently seeing him because I have been on a uh, scream kick, right? I've been watching all the screams. Oh, yeah, yeah. He is uh, the semi-inspiration of the director-producer person at that studio of Scream 3. Oh, and really? He's, and he's in the movie as well. Oh, my God. That's he awesome. He is a character. He actually has lines and everything, and he plays a person. So, yeah, I'm very aware of Roger <laughs> Corman. Which is also hilarious because that movie was produced by Harvey Weinstein, and I don't know, he has more similarities, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so Roger Corman sees Geno- Xenogenesis, and he thinks that Jim Cameron has some talent, um, and he won't have to pay a whole lot of money to get that talent from him. So he hires him to be a production assistant on the movie Rock and Roll High School, which is a movie that I fucking love. Yeah. Um, it's the Ramones movie where the oh, Ramones yeah. take over a high school. 
Yes. Yeah, James Cameron is the production assistant on that movie. Um, That's awesome. Uh, after that, he takes up a full-time job at New World, um, the Roger Corman studio, and he becomes mm-hmm. mostly a miniature builder and working in the special effects department uh, for a few projects, like Escape from New York. Um, Classic. The, yeah, great movie. Great movie. Um, eventually, this leads him to being the special effects director on infamously Piranha 2 The Spawning. Yes. Um, so the production of Piranha 2 is sort of a story unto itself. Well, we're not going to get too deep into it, but we're going to touch on it a little bit because it's kind of important for James Cameron. Basically, the original director got pushed out of the movie for creative disagreements with the producer. Mm-hmm. Most of the production took place in Italy, and so they're, they're using those sort of like... Um, tax credits yeah tax credits they're they're working in italy the italian government is giving some money for doing it part Mm. of the contract that they sign says that they're not allowed to have an italian listed as the director of the movie okay but they're working with almost entirely italian Italian production they're hiring people on the day the producer who forced the director out is Italian. Yeah, so essentially, yeah. James Cameron is the only person on the staff who can direct Piranha 2. <laughs> uh, you do it. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's what happened. Um, Piranha 2 is a total mess, um, but it's mm-hmm. not really James Cameron's fault. Um, no. The producer continued to flex his power to the point where James Cameron was essentially just a ghost director. Like His name is on the movie, and that's it. Um, when the yes. project uh, gets finished, uh, Cameron asks the studio to quick, take the name off the movie. Quick question: Do you know the name of the producer? Oh, I don't. I didn't. I have it, it down. It's yeah. fucking his name. Okay, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, <laughs> but it's a video. Asonisis. Asan. Asonisis. Oh, I will. I'll pull this for you. He he is an Egyptian-born uh, producer. It seems is also Greek Italian. Um, so yeah, I apologize if obviously I couldn't get your name right, but your name has ass on it. I'm sorry. Yeah, there was a reason it wasn't written down in my notes because I was like, <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to pronounce that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so J- James asked for his name to be removed from the movie. Uh, they they won't let him do it because they need it on there for the <laughs> yeah. the contracts they have signed. Um, Love it. And so this this creates like a really interesting problem for James Cameron because he's in sort of like the worst case scenario yes. where um, it's hard to get a studio to let you direct a movie, right? Because oftentimes they don't want to give a big budget to a guy who doesn't have any experience. Mm-hmm. James Cameron now has the only thing that's worse than no experience, which is the experience of directing Piranha 2. Yes. So, um, yep. Uh, James Cameron decides that his best bet at being able to make uh, another movie because he's decided he wants to be a director, right? He doesn't just want to work in the miniatures lab at New World Forever. The best bet that he's going to be able to do to get a studio to let him direct a new movie is to write a script that's so good he can essentially leverage the script, right? He can be like, hey, if you want this movie made, I have to be the director on it. It's a pretty common tactic. Like It's the way um, Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon got to star in Good Will Hunting was that Mm -hmm. they wrote it themselves. Uh, it's the way Sylvester Stallone got to star in Rocky, right? It's a pretty common thing. Um, so he has an idea for a movie. While working on Piranha 2, James Cameron got sick. Um, 
During a literal fever dream, he saw the image of a metallic skeleton rising out of flames. And he thought the idea was so cool, he wrote it down, he drew a sketch of it and stuff, and he decides that that's going to be the starting point for his new script, The Terminator. He brings the idea to his future wife, uh, Gail Ann Hurd, who's a legendary producer. Legend. Not at this legendary. time, though. Um, he sells her the rights to The Terminator for a dollar with the agreement that she'll sell it to a studio with the caveat of him being a director. Yeah. Um, she was, uh, she's like a production uh, person at new world. And she sort of like wants to be like a big producer and stuff. So they're yes. just like meeting together at the right time. She helps him develop the script in certain ways, like insisting that uh, there has to be a strong female lead for the movie, which uh, creates Sarah Connor. Um, and she helps him get this, uh, the script sold to Orion pictures with james cameron directing uh terminator obviously it's a huge success it brings in seven seventy eight point three million dollars on a budget of only 6.4 million and the general consensus is is that it could have like made a hundred million dollars the marketing actually was like really terrible for the movie and stuff like yeah uh the 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 production of a terminator is a whole story under itself um Hopefully I could watch like a documentary or something on that because I, I would love to hear the making of that one because everyone talks about Terminator 2. Everyone right. brings it up. But that, a lot of love is given to that movie. And the first Terminator movie is freaking fantastic. Um, I always love the story of how Arnold Schwarzenegger was not going to be the yeah, Terminator. Yeah, they didn't want him. No, 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 they didn't. They wanted uh, <laughs> O.J. Simpson. They wanted O.J. Simpson. The studio, the studio wanted a big name. They wanted either O.J. Simpson or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. James Cameron didn't think that anybody would believe that OJ would could be a killer. And you know what? He was kind of right. Kind of right. People have a hard time believing that OJ Simpson could kill somebody. That's right. Um, and um, he didn't necessarily want Arnold Schwarzenegger because the vision he had for the Terminator was like he wanted like a really skinny kind of stealthy guy, sort yeah. of what you end up getting with Rod, Robert Patrick in two. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually after like meeting with Arnold Schwarzenegger, it got to the point where he was trying to convince Arnold Schwarzenegger to get onto the movie because mm-hmm. they actually wanted him for uh, the Kyle Reese role, not the Terminator role. That would be really weird, right? Especially at that time. And I know that like as Arnold is who he is today or as he was even say in the 90s is not Arnold starting out. Arnold starting out is stiff you know he was i think hercules in a, mo- in yeah, a movie yeah hercules or something like that. in new york or whatever H- hercules in called. new york and, and then even i think with he the conan, done conan at this point which is very much a, like nonsense he doesn't say words he says yeah. like sentences but like that's brilliant yeah, Term- terminator is that first movie that he yes as like a legit actor and i mean mm. same for cameron right that's the launching pad that yes. um takes him to where we're, we'll come back to james cameron in a second but essentially, after Terminator, James Cameron just becomes like the go-to, generally considered the best action director of those decades. Like, it's like Steven Spielberg starts making serious movies, and all of a sudden, James Cameron is there giving you Terminator, giving you Aliens, like everything you love. Yes, yes. So, let's take a second to sort of go into the weird history of the Spider-Man film rights and how that oh, sort boy. of gets in to James Cameron. Strap in. <laughs> Okay, so um, the history of comic book movies in general is sort of weird. Like, today, the landscape we exist now with the MCU, all that stuff, it's sort of weird to, like, think that nobody would want the film rights to Spider-Man. 
Um, yeah, to think of that and now, I mean, man, people are begging for studios to buy it now. Right. Uh, there is literally like a war uh-huh. between two studios to share the film rights to Spider-Man, right? Yes, yes. Um, but like, so the attitude in like the mid 80s when it goes to sale um, is sort of like the attitude of pretty much all superhero movies up until yeah. like the late 2000s. Um, superhero movies are not thought of as like blockbuster movies. No, I think we were barely getting even like Christopher Reeves' movie in around this point, right? Or at least past that, right? Yeah. So like the the heroes of the golden age are sort of considered like those can be big movies because the yes. adults have familiarity with them. Um, at the time, Spider Man goes to sale. Batman's not out yet, but we can use that as an example. The yeah. Superman movies, and then like even continuing, yeah, like I said, until the late two thousands, it's like they're focused more on like the pulp. Comic yes. heroes like oh, the Rocketeer, the, the Shadow. shadow. Yeah. Yes. Um Billy yeah, Zane's the Shadow. Uh the Fat no Phantom. Oh, oh Billy Zane's the Phantom, right? Yeah. yeah. Alec Baldwin is the Shadow. Alec Baldwin is the Shadow. <laughs> um, but I love that all this comes from uh the only thing possible, uh bankruptcy. To sell these rights in the first place is Marvel, if I'm not mistaken, was bankrupt in that time and they were trying to just like pull well, out so, these money spec. So that's a bit that later. True? Initially, they're okay. just selling the film rights because they have them. They can yes. sell them. Yes. Um but basically nobody wants them, so mm-hmm. they end up in the hands of Roger Corman. Uh, he buys the, he buys the film rights to Captain America, the Fantastic Four, and Spider-Man. The first attempt at developing a Spider-Man movie was done by a guy named Menahem Golan and okay. Yoram Globus. Um, there are two heads at Canon, um, which is another studio that is associated with Roger Corman. Great documentary as well about the studio. Great yeah. documentary. Um, neither of them were particularly familiar with the character of Spider-Man, and so their their approach seems sort of weird. Um, they commission a script from a writer from the Outer Limits, Leslie Stevens, and they get back something sort of like The Fly. Um, <laughs> the script is about a mad scientist who turns Peter Parker into a human-spider hybrid and tries to get him to join his new race of super mutants. Lovely. They like the script. They are trying to get Tony Hooper, the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, to direct it. <laughs> uh, actually, let me do a fun little loop-de-loop here real quick. Back to James Cameron for a second. Yeah. Uh, Toby Hooper does Chainsaw Massacre. Chainsaw Massacre inspires, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, John Carpenter to do Halloween. Yep. Halloween inspires James Cameron <laughs> to do the Terminator. Um, yeah, wow. Is, and then obviously uh, Friday the 13th and all that jazz too. Like that comes yeah. as well. And yeah. Tony Hooper is actually like a really good director too. Like he's famous for uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but he's done a lot of other stuff. Too. Arguably the Poltergeist movie. <laughs> Some people say it's Spielberg. Oh, Some people We're going to do an episode about Poltergeist because <laughs> Poltergeist is such a weird fucking movie with like Steven Spielberg ghostwriting it and stuff. We're going to do an episode about that one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so initially they budget this movie this spider-man movie for around 20 million dollars uh for canon that's like way too much money um so they bring on a series of writers to like do rewrites of the film to essentially just try to get the budget down um canon is never able to properly get the funding for the movie together and their five-year option like kind of runs out uh, so in 1991, they sell the rights off to Carloco Pictures, who are about to take off with the release of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, 
Carlico, uh, they're working on Terminator 2. They know they've got a huge hit. Like, the marketing leading up to Terminator 2 is, like, huge. God, so good. Everybody knows, like, Terminator 2 is going to be, like, this huge movie. So they're, they get the rights to Spider-Man, and they're like, we got to get James Cameron to do this one, right? So he's currently, like, coming off of the closest thing he's, like, ever had to a flop with The Abyss. And the abyss yeah. isn't a flop by any means. The, the abyss makes no amount of money. If it's, if just it's not such a big production, yes, and if not, probably one of the most influential movies of what it did with CGI, but also with yeah. like even the design of the ship later is literally the Halo Covenant ship. Like it's insane. Like it's insane. Yeah, and so like they're 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 betting big on yes. James Cameron, and so they um, they give him uh, part of it is they get all the scripts uh, Cannon had. And they give them all to James Cameron. So the script that gets turned in for the first James Cameron movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's do a deep dive into this. Okay, uh-huh. so to start uh-huh. off, James Cameron makes some slight changes to the bones of Peter Parker lore, okay? Uh, Peter Parker gets his powers in college instead of high school. The, okay. pri- the primary antagonist for the movie is Professor Octopus instead of Dr. Octopus, right? He also, like, changes a lot of other things about Dr. Octopus, um octavius is maybe the worst scientist of all time um and shouldn't be teaching college kids uh he calls science the study of the forces he does these weird crazy experiments to find what he calls the fifth force um the as far as i can tell like the script is out there um the forces are not defined in the movie and what the fifth force is is sort of up in the air uh, Dr. Okay. Octopus also gets bitten by a radio spider and is given powers. He sometimes calls himself Spider-Man and occasionally fights Spider-Man over the name Spider-Man. The, like, the conflict of the movie is that he's trying to get a hold of a paper that Peter Parker wrote for school that will help him uncover the fifth force. He mm. does this by attacking Spider-Man because he knows that Spider-Man is friends with Peter Parker. So essentially, it's the opposite of Spider-Man yeah. 2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he eventually gets the paper and does his experiment that will somehow destroy the world. Professor Octopus knows that it's going to destroy the world, but he does the experiment anyway so that he can visit, quote, real God's heaven. <laughs> the film ends with what Spider-Man. Pay- I, I, I Hold on. This is like you come out of Burning Man and it's like, yo, I got the script for you, okay? <laughs> We're going to real God's heaven real quick. Let me go ahead and pull this out. So wow. The film ends when Spider-Man stops the experiment, um, <laughs> which is being done inside of Professor Octopus's house, which um, yo, check out my launches Professor Octopus into space and he <laughs> dies in his house. His house gets <laughs> propelled into space. Um, what? Yeah, so this is the script for the first uh, James Cameron Spider-Man movie. And you might be wondering, um, why did James Cameron turn in such an awful script? That doesn't seem very James Cameron. No, no. I mean, not that a bad script is above James Cameron, like Avatar exists, right? But this is a step beyond that. Um, The reason is probably because he didn't. I see here, I'm looking too. It looks like there's more than just him. So that's, Yeah. yeah. So... This is going to be a bit of speculation. There's a couple different stories here, and I've sort of 
tried my best to filter through them and get what I think makes the most sense. Sure. Um, there's a few different articles you can read for this and stuff. If you just go look up James Cameron Spider-Man, you'll see tons of stuff. Yeah, as I just did, audience, and uh, I pulled up a Wikipedia that is breaking down some of this for yes. me so I can see. There's an image someone drew. It's great. So part of the contract that James Cameron had um, was that he wouldn't be paid his fee of $3 million until he turned in a script. Okay. So, like I said, when Carloco bought the rights, they got all the scripts that um, Cannon had produced, right? So what appears to have happened was that James Cameron took one of the latest revisions of that script, made the bare minimum number of changes required <laughs> to put his name as a writing credit on it, and just turned that in. Love it. Oh, my God. Easy money, baby. Easy, Easy money. money. 100%. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, if you look if you look at that, you can see like there's a whole bunch of writers on that script that he turns in. His name is the first on them, but yeah. there's a whole bunch of others. Um, One so that, that ends up writing Spider Man. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so yeah, it, it appears that he just like phoned it in, got it done. They're not going to take the movie away from him just because he turns in a shitty script and he gets that three million dollar paycheck. Yeah. Um, Needless to say, the studio does not want to make this movie. Um, so the script gets thrown away and they tell Cameron to go to work on a brand new script, which he does. The plan is that they're going to make this his next movie after he does True Lies. Um, oh, OK. Right. So he, he's already locked in to do True Lies. He started yeah. working on that movie after Terminator 2. This is going to be the movie that he does after that. Mm -hmm. Um while working on True Lies, he starts... He never finishes a script for this movie. Uh, what he turns in is what gets called a, as a scriptment. It is a 60-page treatment of the movie that also has some scenes written down, specific scenes he wants in the movie. Yeah. Um, the scriptment is interesting. Parts of it are very good. Parts of it are... We'll talk about some of them that are sort of maybe not aged super well. Um, <laughs> Great. Um, there's a lot of this stuff that actually ends up in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie that gets made. Things like, um, Peter's web shooters being organic start in the James Cameron script, the spider not being radioactive, but instead genetically modified. The film starts with a pretty stock origin story, but goes, takes some deviations in Spider-Man lore. Uh, there's a version of Electro in the movie named Carlton Strand He's a corrupt billionaire who got struck by lightning and can now control electricity. Um, As one does. Yeah, one of does. course. Yeah. He builds a criminal empire and wants Spider-Man to join it. Uh, he's got a right-hand man, a guy named Boyd, who is basically just Sandman. Um, got you. There's also some talks about like versions of this script that he like had planned where Doc Ock would also be in it, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um mm. The tone is kind of weird. Uh, the movie like starts off when Spider-Man first gets his powers, and like he's like enjoys beating people up and hurting people. Um, <laughs> he swears a lot. Like he says "fuck." <laughs> um, now, okay, so his relationship with Mary Jane is fucking wild in this movie. <laughs> um, so they quote unquote fall in love without MJ knowing that it's peter under the mask okay um and peter like won't tell her who he is um and she doesn't seem to care that much but she sure. like she's in love with spider-man but spider-man won't tell her who he is um 
we might talk about like the thematic elements of this in a second but it's, uh, so there's a sequence where mary jane and spider-man have sex on top of the empire state building <laughs> where mary jane keeps her eyes closed the entire time so she won't see who spider-man is what okay yeah. that's right. pretty fucking weird right yeah, that's a little fucking weird yeah yeah it's real fucking weird uh james um <laughs> He could keep the mask on, I guess, but I don't know. But still, uh, yeah, that's fucking weird. Um, <laughs> uh, how do you think that's the weirdest detail that I, I'm reading here specifically, which is uh, what? He, he webs it up and they do it in a web? Is that it? Is that what this is saying? They, yeah, they have like he, he <laughs> puts like a web bet, which yeah. I mean, it's Spider-Man 3. You see them for, hanging for, out in the web. Yeah, for the though. audience. Yeah, it's the Spider-Man 3 web that they're just straight chilling in the park. Yeah, but... Uh, doing it well, <laughs> so. I mean, yeah for for phrasing you said he webs it up which almost <laughs> sounds like you like <laughs> you have any protection okay enough yeah. enough i'm gonna end it there yeah, we can leave it there yeah. um <laughs> eventually at the end of the movie peter <laughs> saves mj from strand at a battle atop the world trade center and he does reveal his identity to her um sort of the idea with the whole like him and mary jane not like showing like figuring out who Peter is and stuff is yeah. like a lot of it. He really wants to like thematically make it about like Peter becoming like a, an adult and figuring out who he's going to be. And he's sort of ashamed of the nerd Peter Parker and he's trying to make a new identity for himself. Um, I have some quotes on Cameron about the idea and like the direction he was taking the movie. Uh, here's a quote from him. I'm doing an I'm doing the origin story and then going way beyond that and delving into the whole story of teenage angst. What if you're 17 years old and you can do whatever the fuck you wanted anytime you wanted? Right. So that's sort of like makes sense about like why the movie starts off and Peter's beating people up and being like, yeah. yeah. If like, if anything, the Amazing Spider-Man kind of falls through with that in some aspects. It kind of does, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it's not the worst direction to take a Spider-Man movie, and nah. like, if anybody's gonna be able to make that work, it's gonna be James Cameron, right? Yes. Um, the plan is that they're gonna get Leonardo DiCaprio to play Peter Parker. Sure. Which, I mean, Fresh off like, of Critters, let's go. And like, I mean, he hasn't even done Titanic yet, right? No, so. no, not even uh, Romeo and Juliet. I think at this point, right? Yeah, so this would have been like 1993. So got it. So just about early. to, yeah, just about, just about to be there. Yeah. yeah. Um. So was it back, back um, basketball diaries? Was the movie he was in? I, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. So <laughs> yeah, that, that that's uh that's uh what Leonardo DiCaprio, and Mark Wahlberg, right? Basketball. Yeah, diaries. yeah, yeah. That yeah, movie's yeah. weird as shit. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh. So why didn't this get movie get made? Right. Um. It's because there was an absolute legal clusterfuck. Okay. Um, okay, so kind of what ended up happening when Carloco got James Cameron to do the movie was that they essentially took his Terminator 2 contract and just swapped out the words Terminator 2 for Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> that creates a problem because that contract gave James Cameron the right to name credits on the movie. Mm -hmm. which was a conflict with the agreement Carloco had when they purchased the rights from New World, which Got guaranteed um, Minahem Golan would get a producer credit on the movie. So there's, that's it. one conflict with the movie. Mm -hmm. um, there's some others. Soon after finishing True Lies, Carloco just went bankrupt, and the studio... <laughs> like. The studio had a lot of uh, financial projects, even when they were putting out movies like Terminator 2. 
um, and they had been working to like restructure things. Um, they had bet a lot on a project called Cutthroat Ireland. Cutthroat oh Ireland? yes, with um, oh my god, she's she was. Oh, we just we did the movie uh, on HBO Max. Uh, oh right, um, uh, uh, my wife. She was in Go- uh, Beetlejuice. Um, I can't. Oh, yeah, her she's in the fly. Is, uh, Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Yeah. Gina Davis. Um, and Matthew Modine and that's right. Uh, yeah, it's it's supposed to be like their big movie that's gonna write the ship. It loses a hundred and forty seven million dollars. Good. Yeah. Um. So in the fire sale that follows, most of their assets wound up in the hands of MGM, who uh, plan to go through making the Spider Man movie. This is where things go crazy. So Carloco had the film rights. But the distribution rights belong to Sony, and the broadcast rights belong to Viacom, um, both of whom were now claiming Carloco giving up the rights in bankruptcy gave them the rights to make their own Spider-Man movies because of the contracts they had signed. Not only that, but this is when, like we mentioned earlier, Marvel is going bankrupt. They're in financial freefall, and they're suing for the rights to get Spider-Man back so that they can (laughs) sell it again in bankruptcy. Um, you know him, Golan, uh, the guy who we mentioned before was suing to get a producer credit. Yeah, sues every single one of these companies to make sure that he gets his producer credit eventually. That's so funny because I don't feel like I've seen that name since. So I'm curious how that story ends. But let me. I'm gonna go ahead and look at IMDb real fast to see if he cuts. See if he gets the guy. producer credit on the yeah. Sam Raimi movie. Yes, yes. Um. So. Uh, all of this results in about four years of legal litigation gotcha. um, that, according to the L.A. Times, involved, quote, four bankruptcy cases and five lawsuits involving 18 separate written agreements. It's about as big of a clusterfuck as you can get, legally speaking. Yeah. Um, what's even stranger is that essentially it all boils down to a dick measuring contest between mm-hmm. MGM and Sony. The two companies were going through a different rights issue involving the James Bond franchise, um, which, again, this is something we might do an episode about in the future because the James Bond rights are also really interesting. Um, And essentially, this entire thing gets wrapped up when MGM gives the film rights to Spider-Man to Sony in exchange for them giving up their ability to make any 007 movies. Got you. Got you. Given the box office returns of both franchise, it's hard to say that MGM made the right choice there. <laughs> we'll make 30 of these. You just make one. <laughs> yeah. Um, just do, do yourself a favor, audience. Go look up the uh, how much uh, No Way Home made and go look up how much the last James Bond movie made. See if you think they made the right choice. <laughs> Love it. What was, the, what was that guy's name again? Just so I have it. The producer. Minahem Golan. I don't see that name here, so I don't know. I, I guess he did not get it. I'm sorry, Golan. I'm sorry. Oh, man. He was really banking on those Spider-Man credits. No, 100%. I will say it's fun to see. It says uncredited, but Kevin Feige apparently is executive producer. Really? That's what it says in here. I'm like, that's really cool. The did fact he that work he, at Sony? He worked. I I forgot who, who it was, but I know he worked with Galen Hurd because he was also a producer on The Punisher, which is not a great movie. Um, but he worked at a lot. It's Marvel all tied movies. up. It's all totally. in the episode, baby. The, the, the Exactly. The multiverse of madness is just Kevin Feige saying, these are were all mine all along. That's literally <laughs> all it is. 
Go look up Gail Ann Hurd, audience. Like, Gail Ann Hurd is actually, like, awesome. Yes. She's done amazing, like, produced yes. tons of movies. And or blame for The Walking Dead show that, that as well. That's her fault. <laughs> That's her fault. <laughs> okay. So um, they're successful. What, what, what do we want from me? I mean, that show starts off pretty good, but it goes off yeah. the eventually. She tremors too. Hold on, I'll look that up real quick. You can Did do, she do tremors. I'm checking right now. Do tremors. Uh, if you're if you're not aware, me and Mario do a podcast <laughs> occasionally called Tremors in Review. Uh, it's a fun one. It is a real fun one. I'm gonna look that up. You continue. <laughs> Galen Hurd, executive producer. Hell yeah. Let's go. It's all tied together, baby. It's all tied baby. together. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, because the uh, the Cameron Project still belong to MGM, Sony doesn't get to bring James Cameron along to make their Spider-Man movie. Instead, they get a guy named Sam Raimi, uh, whose Spider-Man Schmuck. movies you're probably pretty familiar with. Yeah. Um, Darkman yeah. guy? Yeah, the guy who made Darkman and Evil Dead 2? Let's get that guy. Yeah. All right, Darkness. That bailed. <laughs> Darkman actually kind of slaps. So it's, a, it's it's Darkman, not only does it slap, it actually is very successful. I don't know if you know that. Oh, yeah. It's, no, that movie was huge. It got like Darkman 2, The Return of Durant. Durant. Yeah. Yes, starring I think Arnold Vosloo. Yeah, Arnold Vosloo uh, your, your replacing Liam Neeson, <laughs> who is not the Liam Neeson you know now. They look similar. <laughs> Arnold Vosloo and hair looks weird. Um, James Cameron seems pretty upset that he never got to make his Spider-Man movie. Um, he told Premiere Magazine, uh, "Quote." With the amount of time and energy I put into that film, it shouldn't be somebody else's superhero. Um, to this day, he still calls it the best movie he never made. And uh, that's that's the story of James Cameron's Spider-Man. What a ride. What a ride for for all parties in, involved, you know? All the producers that are not getting credits, Gail and her just latching on and making some of the best things ever. Yeah. Thank you. Fantastic. I'm sorry they eventually uh, did end up together. <laughs> and then he got a second divorce. So good for the, both of them. I give them credit. They were did amazing you, ladies. James Cameron has a great history of awesome wives. Yeah. <laughs> 100,000%. But uh, yeah, that that's yeah. going to wrap up our episode for today. Mario, thanks for coming on. Yeah, this was fun. It was a fun little uh, little history lesson of things that I was privy to to a few of the details, but hearing them all out laid out in the way that they were was a lot of fun. A lot of fun to hear from you. Yeah, if the people want to hear more from you, where can they find you, Mario? Well, of course, you can find me over at Point in Progress, where we do a podcast on the weekly, uh, or sometimes sub-weekly, depending on, you know, if we record an episode. But uh, other than that, we also do some other shows over there, like MCU University, where if you want to hear... More about the original Marvel movies, such as Blade, X-Men, Ghost Rider's the last one we just did, Fantastic Four, uh, Ang Lee's the Hulk. We talk about all of that leading all the way through and just giving back to the movies that started it all and see how they're now going to be connected into the MCU. So it's sort of our history lesson. It's what is what I love about it is the fact that I get to experience with someone who hasn't seen any of them. And that's what actually is the treat about those movies. So definitely check that out at MCU University. And as mentioned before, uh, a three-part series we did, which, of course, was Tremors in Review. Of course, uh, Brandon did not make it for the third one. However, he was attacked by snakes. 
it was very sad, but it was a great episode. We did it live. And uh, definitely check it out. It was a real fun finale there. Mike fell asleep during the episode. That was fun. <laughs> it's really good. It's really, really good. Um, we did it also kind of late. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, you can find me over there and uh, over at Night Mute City on Twitter. Yeah, awesome. If you like the show, guys, give it a good rating, reviews, all that stuff. Recommend it to people. Yeah. Um, I'm really proud of this one. I hope it's going to come together really nicely. Um, I'm doing, trying to do more podcasts these days on the Jose Ruckus Podcast Network. We have this show. We have a Jose Ruckus Sports Podcast. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Jose Ruckus. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jose Ruckus and Instagram, all that stuff. But, yeah, I hope you have a good Rest of your day. We still have not figured out a way to sign off this podcast. Oh, just grab on, grab off. Grab on, grab off. Terminator on, Terminator off. All right. Bye. Bye.